G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Watch the news, listen to the radio, scroll through social media. All these reveal the all-too-harsh reminders that many people are quick to judge and slow to forgive. Up next on Leading the Way Audio, Dr. Michael Yusuf invites you to listen to the words of Jesus when he addressed sin, faith and forgiveness, topics often misunderstood, ignored and redefined in 2023. I hope you'll keep listening as Dr. Yusuf begins to bring his series, Enduring Wisdom, to a close, with a reminder of the inescapable link between faith and forgiveness. In fact, up next, here, faith fosters forgiveness. Join me and listeners worldwide for this episode of Leading the Way Audio. Luke 17, verses 1 to 10. Here you're going to hear from the lips of our realistic Lord, Why do I say that very realistic statement? You're going to see it right here from the lips of our Lord Jesus. Here, our Lord, realistic, He is realistic enough to declare that in this fallen, corrupt, imperfect world, stumbling blocks will happen. Falling away from Him and back into sin and rebellion will happen. Now, the Greek word that is used here in this Gospel of Luke, the Greek word skandalon, from which we get the scandal, uh, it really was originally used to describe a bait stick, a bait stick in a trap. And my beloved brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our world is filled with traps, traps that are designed to cause professing Christians to stumble and fall away from the faith. These traps are found everywhere. The traps are in the popular culture. They are in the academic world and on campuses. They are in school curriculums. They are in governing authorities. They are in the court systems. But the tragedy of all tragedies is some of these traps are in churches are in false preachers and false teachers, these traps that cause people to turn back from the truth of the Word of God are in some pulpits today. These are all traps designed to cause the weak and the vulnerable to turn their backs on Christ, to turn their back on the truth of the Word of God and back into rebellion. Listen to me. When Jesus says, woe to the one whose false teaching misleads people and causes them to stumble or fall into sin. He was saying that it is better to die than to teach an errant or false gospel. It is better to die than to have a ministry that is designed to trap others away from the truth of the biblical truth of the Word of God. And that is why in verse 3, He said to them, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Be on your guard. 
It's an exhortation that we need to hear again and again. Be on your guard. The world is watching you. Your family is watching you. What our precious Lord is saying is this. Far from being a cause of stumbling for others, we have the responsibility that when others do stumble in sin, that we lovingly and gently help them get back and come back home. Hear me right, please. There are some, when they confront a person about their sin, they huff and they puff, and they're kind of like a peacock, and sort of, I'm going to show you, you're a sinner. You need to do this, and you need to do that. Let me tell you how I do it. I do it in tears. I do it in tears, because I'm conscious of my own shortcomings and failures. I think that's what our Lord is saying here in verses 3 and 4. When Jesus said, your brother, he's referring to a fellow believer. He's talking to believers and dealing with each other. And he's saying, don't enjoy rebuking of a fallen brother or sister. Don't delight in your own self-righteousness when you rebuke a weaker brother or sister. Don't flaunt your own strength when you are gently helping to restore the fallen. Oh, by all means, we need to be serious. Oh, yes. We need to be honest, but gentle, not puffed up. Beloved, the responsibility to rebuke the persistent, errant, sinning brother or sister is attached to the responsibility of forgiving. Don't ever forget that the next part is a challenge to all of us, including your pastor. But what our Lord is saying here should also be comforting to all of us. If he repents, forgive him. Look at verses 3 and 4. How many times are you going to forgive that same offense? Lord, have mercy. Seven times a day. Keep calculating. Question, why put such a burden on the person who's doing the forgiving? Ah, because our Lord is implying that the person who's doing the rebuking and the forgiving is a mature believer, and he or she is dealing with somebody who's less mature, new in the faith. When he says about little ones, he doesn't mean children. As you talk about little ones, he's talking about those who are young in the faith, new believers. They're growing. So, rebuking sin gently, yes. Even when you don't want to, (laughs) yes. Then forgive even when you don't want to, yes. Why? Because when you do this, you become more like God. You become more like God. Listen, giving and forgiving are the two characteristics of our God. And when you do both, you become more and more like God. God hates sin. Remember that. God stands against sin. Remember that. And when the Holy Spirit convicts us, and I know He convicts me many times, when the Holy Spirit convicts me and He brings me a rebuke when I fall into sin, I remember, and you need to remember, He also brings forgiveness. He's quick to forgive us. He's quick to extend forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ when we repent. 
God's forgiveness, beloved, is limitless. He forgives us countless times. Now, I want to give you six reasons why forgiveness on the part of the believer is a must. It's not a choice. We don't have an option. First of all, as I said, forgiveness is the most godlike thing to do. Secondly, whenever somebody offends you, he or she offends God more. Why? Because ultimately all sins are an offense against God. Matthew 18, 23. And thirdly, if God forgive repentant sinners like me and you we, who offended a holy and righteous God, then we must forgive the repentant person. Fourthly, failing to forgive strains. doesn't affect your salvation, but it strains your relationship with your forgiving Heavenly Father. Matthew 18, 31. Five, failing to forgive hampers your worship. It affects your worship. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Finally, six and finally, failing to forgive usurps God's authority. For in Romans chapter 12, he said, vengeance is what? Mine. Don't usurp it. Give it to him. He will do a much better job than you can ever hope or dream. Leave room for God's vengeance. Underline verse 5, the question that the disciples have asked. Underline it. Every time you go through the Bible, you see it and will remind you. Verse 5, what did they say? Lord, increase our faith. What? Yeah, yeah, listen, you have to dwell on this for a long time, which I have. <laughs> Jesus just laid this heavy burden on them and told them you forgive seven times a day. And they were just reeling. They were really are. They were reeling under the impact of that human impossibility that he just put on them. Forgive over and over and over. Lord. And the reaction was what? You would think they would have asked, give us more love. <laughs> Here it comes. Give us more tolerance. That's the biggest misnomer if there is ever one. I think they use it just to shut up the Christians. <laughs> give us more understanding. Give us more compassion. Give us more humility. That's what you would think, right? Am I right? You have to scratch your head at their request. More what? More faith? <laughs> but you know why? They immediately recognize what Jesus is saying is a, an impossibility, and they are totally inadequate to do this. How can you forgive that many times in one day? Inadequate. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, the great apostle Paul, which is a great encouragement to me, gets so overwhelmed with the demand of the gospel and the faithfulness to the gospel and the faithfulness to the Word of God, then he kind of screams and yells out, who is adequate for all these things? Another translation said, who is sufficient for these things? The answer is no one. No one. No one can do any of these things without the supernatural power of our Heavenly Father. 
And that supernatural power only comes from faith, and faith comes through prayer. And if you think that you have mastered your own, through your own power, your own strength, your own self-will to forgive, please think again. The cry was, increase our faith. Why? Because they cannot increase their own faith. We cannot increase our own faith. Now, you hear people, particularly in the television, they trot on the stage and say, my faith is this, my faith is done that, and I want to cry. See, the disciples understood that faith is a gift, and you can't brag about a gift. (laughs) For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, for it is the gift of God. Now, beloved, faith for all of life's challenges, for all of life's challenges. My goodness, particularly these days, we need faith more than anything, but it's a gift. And to know greater faith only comes from spending time with your Heavenly Father in intimacy and in prayer, in humility and submission. To have the power to forgive and keep on forgiving is only through the gift of faith. And the gift of faith and the power of faith comes through spending time in prayer with your heavenly Father. Beloved, listen to me. You cannot escape the connection between faith and forgiveness. You cannot separate them. They are inexorably linked. Faith, forgiveness. Say it with me. Faith, forgiveness. I'm going to show you from the Scripture. Abraham, the father of faith, I talk about him in the last message, he saw through the eyes of faith 2,000 years ahead that of Christ coming to redeem the world. And that is why he's called the father of faith, because he believed what he did not see and did not happen for 2,000 years. When Abraham, the man of faith, had a quarrel with his greedy nephew, Lot, Abraham, the man of faith, refused to quarrel, refused to quarrel. And he said to Lot, he said, take whatever you want. You take the best. I'll take the leftover. Why? Because faith, here's what I want you to memorize, but I want you to repeat it every single day, okay? More than once in the coming week. And then if it works, do it again the following week. Got a deal? Here's the formula. Three F's. Faith fosters forgiveness. Can you say it with me? Joseph, a man, was filled with faith. He trusted in the sovereignty of God, even when he suffered for doing righteousness, even when he suffered unfairly and unjustly. He kept on trusting God. A man of faith, he forgave his miserable brothers, and he gave them the best that Egypt could offer. Because faith… David stood over and above sleeping King Saul. Remember, King Saul has been pursuing him for years. He never gave him a night of rest. He chased him in the crags, and he chased him in the caves. He went after him, and he never had peace, and he constantly running from King Saul. And then all of a sudden, he stands there, and Saul is asleep, deep sleep. He could have chopped his head off. In fact, his comrades kept saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. David refused. He trusted in the timing of God because faith Now, beloved, if you're having a hard time forgiving, you can ask God for faith. He'll give it to you. 
I can tell you this is one thing God will answer. He will answer. Faith to trust God that He is in control. Faith to trust in God's sovereignty. Faith to trust in the One who said, vengeance is mine. Faith in the One who loves you more than anybody else could ever love you. Faith in your life's plans being in the very palms of His hands, and no one can change that. Verse 6, He said, if you have faith small as mustard seed, the smallest seed ever, and you say to this mulberry tree, which has a lot of deep roots, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, it will obey you. Oh, my goodness, I've heard some amazingly confusing, (laughs) messed up interpretation of this through the years. First of all, you need to understand the disciples were not asking for the increase of the quantity of faith. Hey, give him a pound, but give me 10 pounds of faith. Well, even better, give me a ton. That's not what they're praying for. Instead, are asking for an increase in the quality of their faith. The quality of their faith. Because some people say, you know, big faith, small faith. No, 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 no. Quality of faith. And that is why Jesus talked about the smallness of the seed, the smallest seed in the world, mustard seed. Why? Because they were asking Him to help them do what is humanly impossible to do. What did Jesus say? He is saying that life is in the smallest seeds, and it has the multiplier factor in it, and the force of multiplications on the inside of that seed. He's saying, in effect, you have all the faith you need. What you need to do is grow it. What you need to do is exercise it. What you need to do is to live by it. Question, what is this power to move the tree from the forest into the sea? I want you to hear me out. This is important, and that is why I want to use myself so you get the point, okay? A tree takes deep root. This particular tree takes deep root in the earth. And so is the deep root of the tree of my quick temper. My quick temper and anger, easily angered, had deeply rooted, deep roots like a tree. From my birth, I found it easier to take revenge than to forgive. But faith in Jesus and in the truth of His Word, says to that mulberry tree of my quick temper, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Glory to God. Glory to God. If you find it difficult to forgive, pray. Increase the quality of my faith, and He'll do it. Why do I say this? Because faith is submission to the sovereignty of God. Another time, Jesus made the same point using something even mightier than the tree. He used the mountain, moving the mountain. In reality, it doesn't really matter which the tree or the mountain. It doesn't matter how big or small. It doesn't matter. The issue is, what is humanly impossible to do? That's really the point he's making whether it's the tree or the mountain. He's talking about what's impossible to do. God loves it 
when you ask for His supernatural power. You have God's Word on it. When you ask for His supernatural power to obey Him, to be able to live for Him, to be able to submit to Him, to be able to imitate Him, and fully trust in Him, especially when everything appears to be dark and impossible to do in your own strength, supernatural power to live the life that will not cause other people to stumble, that supernatural power to have the courage to confront sin, particularly sin in our own lives, to a supernatural power to extend unlimited forgiveness. Cannot happen without the supernatural power of God. I'm not going to leave out the second illustration. This is something every day happening at the time. It's not what we would want now. Verses 7 all the way to 10, the last three verses. And he's talking about the worker coming in and serving the master first. See, this is an illustration sometimes referred to in some Bibles as the parable of the unprofitable servant. What is he saying is this? I'll give you the bottom line. Jesus is saying that we can ask for faith to be obedient servants. You see, the servant-master relationship is really what these disciples needed to hear at this very point. You know why? Because earlier he said to them, I no longer call you servants, I call you what? Friends. Ah, but he wanted to make sure that they didn't misunderstand that. (laughs) Just because somebody told me to be his friend, I don't walk into his office, put my feet on his desk, and say, go and get me a cup of coffee. Well, you told me to call your friend. No, 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 no. You see, he wants to make sure that they understand they cannot take God for granted. They cannot presume on God. You cannot presume on the goodness of God. We have no right or even expectations for a reward. But he gives it. He rewards us. He blesses us. He gives us more blessings than we can handle even though he does that all the time. But we have no right to presume on his goodness. We have no right to presume on his grace. We have no right to treat him as some people sometimes treat God like a bellhop. They're saying, only be sure that you are faithful in our obedience, in the small things and in the big things. Ultimately, Jesus will do for us what no earthly master could ever, ever ever, 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 how many ever's of these can do or will do. But don't ever forget that everything is of grace. Everything is of grace. There's nothing that we can claim. There are no ground for pride, only eternal praise and thanksgiving. You see, with dependence on God and dependence on His supernatural power, We give God all of the credit. We give God all of the glory, lovingly serving Him with His strength alone. These are not signs of weakness, my beloved friends. These are the sign of strength, God's strength. Will you ask for faith to be an obedient servant? If talking about your faith or lack of faith with a pastor or counselor would be helpful, please consider connecting with a member of the Leading the Way team at ltw.org slash Jesus. Thanks for listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. As you know, people have been leaning deeper into faith over the past few years, and it's been exciting to see the many new ways God is using Leading the Way to share the gospel. 
Recently, a note was delivered to our office that challenged and increased the courage, vision and faith of the Leading the Way team. We hope it'll encourage you to hear how God is transforming lives. A young man from Algeria wrote, Words fail me as I try to express my gratitude to Dr. Michael Yusuf and Leading the Way. You have been a source of spiritual nourishment and discipleship as I've listened. I've been amazed to see God using Leading the Way to redeem the many years that were eaten by locusts as I sought everything but God. May God bless the work of your hands as you serve the lost and hungry souls of the world. Thank you, Dr. Yusuf, for your obedience and faithfulness to passionately teach God's Word. Please pray for him and others who learn about Christ through Leading the Way. Well now, that music is our reminder that our time is over for today. Do listen again next time, won't you? This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.